Music's been glorious this morning, and we thank you so much for ministering to each other's hearts in song, as Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 would have us do. Our brief text this morning is going to be taken from the passage that Bob Gray read for us. In Luke chapter 2, would you join me there in your, on your device or with your Bible in Luke chapter 2? What is the proper way a decorated student at a graduation should be formally announced? Do you think the student's parents, do you think that decorated student's parents would care or pay much attention to the correct way their child should be described? Certainly a proper name is given, first, middle, and last. And then there may be a few attending titles that would be appropriate to mention. Think of it this way. Kent Jacob Hobie, valedictorian, summa cum laude, maybe even most valuable player, or maybe even in the yearbook handed out at the graduation, you might see first to make a million dollars. Has that happened, Gloria? Not yet. All right. First to make a million dollars or last to get married. Who knows? Uh, but just a few titles that might be attached to this proper name. Did you know that our Lord only had two proper names given in the scriptures? Jesus, the son of Joseph, the one who saves, or the one of salvation, the son of Joseph, and one recorded by us in Matthew's gospel, Emmanuel. God gave him this personal name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we were to go around the auditorium this morning, we might be able to comprehensively cover all of the titles that the scriptures give us in relationship to Jesus or Emmanuel, God with us. So how would God desire his son's arrival on earth, his commencement to earth, if you will, to be formally addressed? And do you think he would give much care and much attention to the way his son would be announced? Well, his announcement, as we find in Luke chapter 2, was not an announcement of his proper name, Jesus was announced by sinless angels with three particular titles. And with great care, God instructed sinless angels to announce his son Jesus for particular reason. Each one of those titles would address one of man's greatest issues. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 gives us those three titles. And some of you may have thought that even these may have been proper names, but they're not. He says in verse 10, But the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is 
Christ the Lord. Now, you'll find the title Savior throughout Scripture in the New Testament. You'll, you'll never find the words Christ the Lord mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but here, even though Christ and Lord are mentioned separately throughout the New Testament, but here only together uh, in this order. But the Lord would ask the angels to announce the commencement of the Son to earth in this very particular way. We know from Brother Master Petro's reading earlier in Matthew chapter 1 that these wise men, these three wealthy Gentiles, would have known of Christ's arrival by a star placed in the sky that they would follow for some years before they first met the Lord Jesus Christ when he was almost three years old. This announcement, though, is made to relatively impoverished Jewish shepherds. And both parties demonstrate for us that the salvation that had come to the earth through Jesus was a salvation that was offered impartially to all men, both the wealthy Gentile and the impoverished Jew. But in our context this morning, with great care, the angels announce Jesus with three titles. And if you're taking notes this morning, which I wouldn't assume you were in a Christmas Eve service, but if you are, the first title given to us here is Savior, and the issue addressed is man's greatest need. I find it very important, the first title mentioned man's greatest need. The Bible says in Psalm 130 and verse 3, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? We know from Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there's none righteous, no, not one. Mankind's sins are many, and sin separated us from God, didn't it? Isaiah 59 in verse 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he cannot hear you. Isaiah addresses the nation of Israel with an invitation. And he says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Well, the Old Testament has many more verses that address the announcement of a coming Savior we know that in Isaiah 53, that we are all like sheep gone astray, turning everyone to their own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus, the coming Lamb of God, the iniquity or the sin of us all. Even John the Baptist, in John chapter 1 and verse 29, announced the Savior and his arrival, even though he had not been placed into public ministry yet, by saying, behold, the Lamb of God has come, who has come to take away the sin of the whole world. He is to be a Savior. He is to save us from sin. We're all very familiar with Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
The Bible also says that we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to us to be the Savior of the world. And for those of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior from your sin, we understand Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, where the Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that have accepted Christ as your Savior from your sin, there's coming a day we will realize Jesus Christ as our Savior from this old earth. And maybe today. But the first title given to us at Christ's commencement to earth by sinless angels from his father that his father was pleased with presents to us man's greatest need. We needed a savior. Man's greatest need, as we often say, is not food, clothing, and shelter. It's not friendship. It's not even biological family and special friends. Man's greatest need is forgiveness. And that forgiveness can only come through our Savior. Well, the second title given here is, is quite interesting as well. Again, why would omnipotence, why would omniscience in particular pick this title, let alone within the order of the three? Well, the title Savior prevents for us man's greatest need. And what we see here in verse 11 is the fulfillment of man's greatest desire. Man's greatest desire. Our Jesus is not only a Savior, but he is Christ. He is Christ. God's plan from the beginning of creation was always to be king of the world. In the Old Testament, for those of you that have studied theology, you would have known this to be a theocracy. Rule by one, particularly rule by God. Sin broke that perfect rule, but God still sought to rule the world until his people demanded for themselves a human leader. What did his people call for? They called for a human king. Saul was to be their first king. He was tall and handsome, probably well-spoken and obviously well-liked by all those who knew him. What had been the emphasis under the theocracy, man's heart condition, now became man's ability to satisfy himself. Often this led man to do that which was right in their own eyes, without much consideration for anything the Lord had said or done, for them in the past. While there were a few godly kings in the Old Testament, most were self-righteous and sought after other gods of pagan countries. Unfaithful kings divided the kingdom of Israel, and unfaithful kings ultimately led to Israel and Judah's capture by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Yet God still sought to be their king but they would not have it. So God promised a coming king who would rule the earth in complete righteousness and with a rod of iron. In the book of beginnings, Genesis, the coming king is promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6. The Lord told him, kings will come out of thee. 
In Genesis 49.10, Moses writes, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until peace, or Shiloh, comes. And unto him shall be the obedience of all the people. Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, the Davidic covenant is given, and this promised that the king would come, this coming righteous king of peace would come from the line of David. Jeremiah tells of this coming kingdom, that this king would rule over as being a day of complete safety for the people of God. Ezekiel 37 tells us that the coming kingdom will have but one king and one king only for 1,000 years, and all the people in that kingdom will be a people of God. Amos chapter 9 tells us that the tabernacle of David would be restored in those days. Zechariah 14 tells us that Christ's feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And this is how he is described in Zechariah 14. I am, or Jehovah, will be the king over all the earth once again. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33, would you take your Bibles over to the left, one page in your scriptures or in your device, one chapter? In Luke chapter 1, let's see how Dr. Luke would have described this Christ, this anointed one, this promised Messiah of God. In verse 30 of Luke chapter 1, The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In this king, God would fulfill man's greatest desire to have a perfect ruler. A pure authority who would establish flawless righteousness for man and for all of eternity. But before the kingdom, there had to be a cross This is the Jesus who was the lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. And though the Jewish people were expecting the kingdom to be established upon the birth of the Christ child, the king, we know the account of scripture tells us that this king must die. Our savior, representing our greatest need, before he could rule which presents to us our greatest desire. And boy, don't we long for a perfect ruler. Well, the final title this morning as we conclude presents for us our greatest comfort. Not just our greatest need or our greatest desire, but our greatest comfort. This is Jesus, who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. 
Parents, have you ever made a promise, or teachers, or people in authority, have you ever made a promise to your children, students, or subordinates that you fully intended to keep, but that you forgot? I'm sure many of us, or probably if we're going to be out of it, all of us have been reprimanded by our children, our students, or our subordinates, or reminded that we are flawed in our ability to completely and fully keep our promises. And often we're, tell, we're compelled to say, I'm sorry for that. As you've read in the Old Testament many times, you've noticed how many times God made promises by saying, I will to the Israelites. I will never leave you. I will go before you. I will do this new thing in you. I will be with you. I will establish my covenant with you. All of the I wills in the Old Testament are often tied to the I am of the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 3, when God asks Moses to lead the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, and he's going through several phases of persuading Moses to obey him, and Moses finally says what? That most of you are familiar with. Who in the world should I tell these people in bondage sent me? And God responded, tell them that I am has sent you. I am that I am. Well, those two words, I am, are represented in four Hebrew letters called the Tetragrammaton, which is where we get our name Jehovah or Yahweh. This is God's primary name for his people in the Old Testament. Numerous times throughout the Old Testament, God's people were reminded that I am brought them out of the land of Egypt among so many other promises made to them by Yahweh. God is, what is Yahweh? God is the I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament Israelites. He is the I am behind all the I wills of the Old Testament. And he is a God that cannot lie. Everything he promises, he will do. Because he's immutable and unchangeable. Every promise made was kept. And there are many promises of Yahweh yet to be fulfilled. There was a single promise made in the Old Testament that would change the world as we know it, though. A promise made not to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well. If they would believe this promise, their hearts would be changed from stone to hearts of flesh. There was a promise of a coming spotless one. I am promised, Yahweh promised the spotless lamb to come that would take away the sin of the world. He promised that the innocent lamb would be led to slaughter like a guilty soul and take upon himself all the sin of the whole world, yours, mine, and every person that ever lived in Isaiah 53. Well, here's an interesting fact. Over 500 times in the gospels alone, Jesus is called Yahweh. You see, folks, the Greek translation of the Hebrew tetragrammaton is the Greek word kurios, which is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. 
So hundreds of times our Jesus is called Yahweh and he is the God of the I wills of the Old Testament. He is the I am who keeps the I wills made to all mankind because he is the fulfillment of all those things. Beyond all the I wills made by the I am in the, of the Jews and mankind generally, think of these personal statements made for you and for me by our Lord, Kurios. These certainly bring great comfort to our hearts. Jesus said, Yahweh in flesh said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, truth, and life. I am the true vine. And wouldn't you know, folks, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are only seven I am's recorded in the scriptures. And seven, as you all know, is the number of completion or perfection in the scriptures. Kurios, Lord, is Yahweh in flesh, and he has come to complete all that Yahweh had promised. He is the fulfillment of all that is good for you and for me in himself, for now and for eternity. Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. What a great comfort these I am statements bring to the Christian heart. God, who has never broken a promise and who cannot lie in Jesus, provided the way for our souls to be eternally comforted. In our Lord, all of our spiritual, personal, and eternal needs are met, and our greatest comfort is fulfilled. So what's in the titles of baby Jesus for us. In this angelic announcement of his commencement to earth, we find our greatest need fulfilled, our greatest desire fulfilled, and our greatest comfort fulfilled. This is how angels announced the arrival of the Son of the living God. And I would conclude by asking you this question this morning this Christmas Eve morning, do you know this babe of Christmas? Have you known a lot about him? Or have you known him personally to be your savior to the point where he so transformed the way you lived? You can remember a time when he changed your heart, when you turned from your sin and placed your faith in him, and he changed the way you live on this earth. And one of the ways that he persuaded you to begin to think and a desire that he put in your heart was to, to crave a day when there would be a flawless ruler sitting on a throne ruling all the earth in complete righteousness. And you're able to live faithfully because as you grow in Christ's likeness and you grow to be like that king, you find that the grace that is that king compels you to live according to the promises that the I am in Christ fulfills. And to persevere and to be faithful. Do you know this babe of Christmas? I would encourage you. Do not leave this earth just knowing about him. You need to know him. You need to know his forgiveness as Savior. Let's pray together.
It's Christmas Eve. Our service has come to an end. But yet one hymn to sing. And that hymn, interestingly enough, is O Come All You Who Are Faithful. Only the faithful can adore Christ the Lord, who is our Savior. Do you know a lot about him or do you actually know him? With their heads bowed and eyes are closed. If you've become convinced this morning that the angelic announcement of this babe, Jesus, by way of these three titles, the Spirit of God meant for your heart, I would just say this, O oh Lord, yes, I do need a Savior. I am a sinner. I've broken the law of God and I need this Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. Save me. Save me. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer, my cry for deliverance from my bondage of sin. Thank you for saving me from all of my sin, past, present, and future. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, while our heads are still bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you be willing to say, Pastor, during the course of this Christmas week, would you just pray for me? I'm not going to have you stand or be embarrassed. I'm not going to announce your name. I may not even know who you are. But if you prayed that prayer and you received the forgiveness of God, your greatest need by trusting Jesus, who is our Savior, would you be willing to quietly just lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me? I prayed. I ask Jesus to be my Savior this morning. Pray for me this week. Anyone at all? Pray for me this week. How many would say, Pastor Tim, sometime in the last year, I did pray and realize my greatest need was forgiveness, and I did trust Jesus as my Savior. Would you lift up your hand? I've done that this past year. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. And you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Raising your hand doesn't save you. I would just like to tell you that if you prayed that prayer and you truly believe that there's no other way to heaven but through the salvation that Jesus offers as your Savior and you meant that from your heart, God heard you and you're a child of God sometime, even during this Christmas week or maybe after the new year, reach out to us because we want to help you grow to know him as your Savior, Christ the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you again for this angelic announcement of these titles, which means so very much to us. Certainly, they're more than titles for us. We thank you, Lord, for our Savior, who's Christ the Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate Yahweh coming to earth in the form of Jesus each and every day of the year in addition to this Christmas season. I pray that we would go forth from this place today, remembering these special truths, enjoying the fellowship of our family and of our friends. And Lord, may we return to each other refreshed and restored and full of joy unspeakable as we approach a new year in Jesus' name. Amen.